Thank you so much. So, who here is super jazzed to talk about depression today? Yeah, show of hands. Total, yeah, no, it's not, no. This is not a fun topic. We have tried to make it a fun topic as a culture. More and more, you see jokes just like this about depression. You know, shop for a new tie, make macaroni, do cardio, don't let the existential dread set in, don't let it set in, vacuum the rug. <laughs> and there are dozens of jokes just like this from all different artists. People want to talk about this, but they can't. So they let it leak out in things like this. I know that's what I did for the longest time. And just about everyone is desperate to put the kibosh on this, and it's very cleverly disguised as trying to help, and the intentions are there, but it's really not. They'll tell you to just take some pills and keep living your life with absolutely no changes. They'll tell you, go outside, that's nature's antidepressant. <laughs> They'll tell you, there's hope for you yet, just wait. Or, my personal favorite, have you tried not being sad? <laughs> like, that's going to help. Plus, as Christians, we're not supposed to be depressed. I wasn't even sure we were allowed to be depressed. It's all about the love of Christ, right? We've been redeemed. The power of the Holy Spirit fills us, and it's now burning passion. Hallelujah. If that happened to you, I'm happy for you, honestly. But go somewhere else, because that, that didn't happen to me. What happened to me is I got a whole heaping pile of depression. And no, it does not mean sad. It can have sadness in it, but that is not what depression is. First, let's get our terms straight and really understand what this entity we call depression actually is before we begin talking about helping with it, either as someone who is suffering through it or someone from the outside looking in. For the longest time, I did not consider myself depressed. Those people were sappy and they were melancholy and they wanted to kill themselves all the time. That wasn't me. I, like most people, did not actually know what I was dealing with. A good way of understanding depression is to find out what it is not. Let's deal with the stereotype right away. Depression is not feeling sad all the time. Depression is not being a pessimist. Depression is not being a Debbie Downer. Depression is not a mood, and depression is not only for crazy people. It can be really hard to help yourself when you're constantly thinking, oh, I'm just a party pooper. I just need to stop that, and I'll be cured. No, we have to understand that we're not dealing with a bad attitude. We are dealing with a sickness inside of the spirit. So get on with it, Jaden. What even is depression? Well, I'll tell you. In terms of symptoms, depression expresses itself like this, feeling hollow inside. Simply put, your emotions are burnt out. You're not just a hard case that can't express their emotions. It's like you've run out of emotion to express. This leads to a lack of motivation in areas like family and friends, and even things you want to do, like your hobbies. You just can't muster the effort for them. And for many, not all, mind you, it's suicidal thoughts on a regular basis. Just to be clear, this does not mean those times you're trying to get out of a very uncomfortable situation, like you need to prep food for Thanksgiving, and you only got an hour to do it, and you think to yourself, if I smash my head in this windowsill, can I get out of doing this? <laughs> no, this 
is a series of thoughts that say, if I weren't here, things would be easier for me and for the people around me. These these thoughts happen seasonally, monthly, weekly, daily. They convince you that people tolerate your influence in their lives purely out of convenience, and if you were gone, you'd stop suffering, and they'd be ultimately happier people. Maybe you don't want to die, per se, but most often, you would rather just not exist. Just delete yourself from ever being born, and everything would be just fine. In short, life is all work. Every task is, to a certain extent, a chore, and every payout is very disappointing. The entirety of life is just a meaningless effort to prolong all of this suffering. It's a philosophy of nothingness you've accepted into your soul, and it's a dull pain. So we've got the symptoms of depression simplified, but the actual problem is entirely more complicated. A lot of people have oversimplified this issue, given quick answers that cover some of the problem, but not nearly all of it. I have learned over a short lifetime of handling this thing that the root of depression is much more sinister than people would have you believe. It's really easy to believe that it's humility gone sour. When you attempt to not have an inflated ego, you end up feeling on the lowest bar of any hierarchy. Your inner critic becomes the inflated one, and its constant beratement will wear you down. But that in itself is just another symptom. Other people believe it's just a chemical imbalance in the brain. Just take a few pills, and the happy chemicals increase, and the sad chemicals eventually go away, and everything's just going to be fine. Now, the chemistry is a very important part in worsening depression but it is not in any way the only cause. Pills help with the pain, but they do not fight the sickness in the spirit. Then there's those who think it's just emotional trauma, whether immediate or over a lifetime, whether abusive family or the loss of one. This is just how the brain reacts to it. I can't fit into this category because, objectively speaking, with supportive parents, awesome friends, siblings I can be friends with, godly community surrounding me, food and drink, really, whenever I want it, my life is pretty awesome, and I still want out of it. So in order to truly understand the problem at its core, we have to understand that the, the affliction that is inside of the spirit. Depression is a problem of obsessions with oneself, with the truth, with escapism, and with expectations. We'll start with the self-obsession, because that seems like the one that's least likely to be applicable to you, you, at least you think, because you have such a low view of yourself. But the thoughts of a depressed person only revolve around themselves. What is my effect on others? What do I contribute to the world? Do my family and friends really love me, or are they lying to me? If I were gone, obviously my loved ones would be better off, but more importantly, I would stop suffering. Let's be honest here. When you indulge these escapist, suicidal fantasies, helping family and friends is just a byproduct. The important thing is is that I don't have to deal with it anymore. The obsession with ourselves is the more insidious, evil obsession, purely because it's very, very good at pretending it's exactly the opposite. It plays off as humble and benevolent. Oh, woe is me! Even now, some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, I'm 
so evil, and I'm so selfish. I only ever think about myself. I guess I'll just stack that up on a pile of excuses to opt out of living since I'm so evil, as you say. No, that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying the obsession is evil. Evil is evil. You are loved by a glorious and forgiving God, especially and even when you are being so self-absorbed. But because you were all created in an image and you were all declared good, that includes you. But that, you can't accept that. It ruins the narrative, which ironically clashes with the next obsession. A depressed person is a person who, above all else, values truth. Arguably the one good thing to come from depression, if used rightly, but it rarely is. Truth is the ultimate goal of life for a depressed person, and the truth is, on the surface, bleak. If you just go by what you can observe and replicate empirically, there's no objective point to anything. Some people would argue that this is a good thing, that since there's no point, the point becomes yours to decide. Live a life that makes you happy. It's supposed to be a freeing notion of you can be anything because it doesn't matter anyway. This opinion is called object optimistic nihilism, and it's, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but it's, it's a little stupid. First and foremost, what happens when you can't be happy? What happens if everything in life is, for the most part, dull for you? If the things that are keeping the optimist engaged in life are killing you? Secondly, they are just fooling themselves. Seeing someone making up truths like this is like watching children talk about what Santa's going to get them for Christmas. If you still believe in Santa, I'm really sorry, honey. But this is a depression topic. You, you, you signed up for some somber topics here. But on the plus side, this whole topic might be a little bit more applicable for you now. More to the point, it is frustratingly impermanent. There's no substance, no actual thing to hold on to. At the root of any philosophy with nothing at its core is the same as believing a lie. It ignores the truth. And a depressed person would rather die than look like a fool for believing something that proved to be false. So we hang on to the only truth we can really wrap ourselves around. The only one that tests true time and time again. It's a truth even the Bible professes in Ecclesiastes. Big conclusion, right at the end of one of the big 66, Ecclesiastes 12.8. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, the author of the book. Completely meaningless. Everything you try is unoriginal. Everything you do is inconsequential. Everything that there is there purely by accident. There is no purpose for anything, and there is no purpose for you. And here's the paradox. No one can live like this, with this mentality. It's the reason why optimistic nihilism is even a thing. Everyone has to find a way to keep all of this existential dread at bay, and, or it's going to kill us one way or the other. It's all a form of escaping the pain. Escapism is something everyone does to a certain extent, but the depression demands an almost constant flow of suppression to satiate it. Anything to turn the brain off to what it's feeling, 
drugs, alcoholism, sex, pornography, benders, smoking, video games, TV, social media, caffeine, day drinking, junk food, other people, books even, anything to just stop being ourselves for just a little bit, for just a second. And I can feel you thinking, okay, Jaden, you've put a really mixed bag of things up there. Uh, some of these things are good things, fun things, enjoyable things, not a sign I want to kill myself. You can't seriously be saying I have to stop reading books or seeing other people. I'm saying that these all become idols when you put them up because you think God doesn't give the peace that you want. When you put your hope in these things instead of God, each one is just as evil as the other. And the pure and simple reason is this. They're all trying to kill you. One way or another, and definitely not at the same pace or in the same way, but they're all going to rot away at your core and hollow you out until a particularly bad day just pushes you over. You crumble. All the things you obsessed over, the things you became addicted to, no longer give the same rush. And no matter how much you consume, you can no longer function. How do you fight that, though? Am I just to let myself go? Let those thoughts consume me? I'm just trying to stay alive here. And you take this away, what do I have left? And that, right there, is the fourth obsession, hidden away. You lost the hope that keeps other people alive, and you tossed it aside because you didn't want to believe the lie. And all that's left at the core of your identity is an unmet expectation. This expectation may not have originally come from you, but you ingrained it as a part of your being. And it wasn't real. Most likely, you felt or were told that there was so much potential in something like love or moral justice or yourself, but then reality set in. Someone let you down, whether it was by hurting you or leaving you. And you stopped believing that you could make a difference. And all your struggle didn't lead to enough change. You became determined to never look stupid again. Let me ask you this. How much do you have to do in order to meet that unmet expectation? Do you have to cure a disease? Start a charity? Make history? Save a life? Get an uproarious laugh for every joke? Have everyone respect you? Everyone love you and what you do? Be absolutely perfect? How much are you willing to push onto yourself to, until you realize you're not fooling anybody? You know, we and millions like us, people in general, I mean, meet in buildings just like this one because someone already did all of that. Jesus the Christ. Cured a disease? He healed leprosy and also death, the most fatal of the diseases. <laughs> That's two right there. Start a charity? You know how many schools and hospitals exist because of the church? All of them, whether directly or indirectly, all of them. Make history? Name one person with a bigger cultural impact on the world. Be funny? This is the guy that didn't reveal that he came back from the dead until after a whole afternoon of spending time with his friends. Whole afternoon, he's just like, oh, but did you hear about that Jesus guy? Where have you been? Have everyone respect you? Storms, listen to this man. Demons were afraid of his name. Be loved? Count on one hand 
the people that you honestly know that honestly hate Jesus. Three asylum patients and two Satanists. Be perfect? This is Jesus we're talking about here. You don't just get the death of Jesus, Christian. That is an amazing gift, yes, but that's not nearly the whole thing. Jesus could have just jumped off a cliff when he was five and let that be the end of it. Salvation and sacrifice secured. No, you get the life of Jesus. The living God lives in you. So you get the mission and the destiny and the books written about you and the flipping magic that's all yours. Philippians 3.16 Only let us live up to what we have already attained. You don't have to do it on your own. You're already worth it. You're the greatest success that ever was. It is finished. I know, this is not something you can just accept. It has to be you that accomplishes the great deed. You have to be worth something inherently, I know. You don't want to let anybody down. You don't want to be the thing holding everyone back. And knowing that is a pain you have to escape and kill. The sheer arrogance of it. You think you're worth nothing, and yet you have enough effect to bring down the Prince of Peace. You cannot screw, screw up enough to keep Jesus away. God loved Saul back when he was killing Christians. He loves David when he had a guy murdered to cover up sleeping with his wife. He loves Moses who couldn't speak in public and had to have Aaron stand in for him. He loves Solomon who had enough wives and concubines to populate a small city. He loves Noah, who got so drunk he fell asleep in front of his kids, naked. He can love you. He does love you. But no, it's got to be you that does the amazing thing. You have to contribute. You know, back in the 50s, they had these instant cake recipes. Magnificent cakes, and all you had to do was add water. They sold horribly. And you know why? Not because they tasted bad, they tasted amazing. But people wanted to put, had more input in the cakes. So they had, they changed the recipe, didn't eat eggs or flour or milk, and bam, all of a sudden people started buying. The scandal of grace is that you don't add anything to it. You can't add to it. You shouldn't add to it. Nothing you do in this life will ever amount to one of the miracles of Jesus. With his help, it will come close. And that's the trick, friends. None of the people that I mentioned amounted to anything without God's help. I would argue that no one, God-fearing or otherwise, can amount to much without God. God works through people, not because he has to, but because he wants his children involved in his life. So when all of your friends and relatives that are succeeding in life, getting fulfilling relationships and making positive differences in the world, are all just experiencing God in different ways. And like I said, God is within you. So you're succeeding along with them. So take the load off your shoulders. Let yourself rest from your expectation. Actually rest. Many of you with depression are not anywhere near close to that point, though pain is still there and you don't know what to do with it I'll tell you what I did and I'm going to be intimately honest and incredibly dark here I tempered that darkness 
I took a good, honest, hard look at all my darkest thoughts and let them play out, but under one condition. They had to be as honest as possible. None of my own emotion attached. Nothing I wanted to happen, only what would actually occur with some poetic license. But within that, I could unleash all of my darkest desires and bring it out into the open. And don't get me wrong, I have no idea how this is going to play out for you, how it's going to manifest. It could be a poem or a piece of art, a menial task, or, I don't know, talking with a friend. But how it worked with me is I got a story out of it, a pure fantasy of my own sinful mind. And I played it several times. For a period of my life, it was daily. In this story, I commit heinous acts of violence towards others, usually family members, as a way of proving to myself and to them that I was evil. It was a blessing, you see. If they could find a way to hate me, they wouldn't care what happens to me if I died. They wouldn't be hurt. So the fantasy continued, and I would escape elsewhere and eventually be caught somewhere a few states over, thrown in prison. About a decade later, while I'm rotting away in solitary, completely alone, I would be visited. Most often, it would be a child. Sometimes a boy, sometimes a girl. The reason for the visit, always different. Something about school projects. Sometimes they're secretly mine and want to meet their dad, but they would come and they would visit me regularly and they would just be there. No preconceived notions, no prejudices, no coercion, just pure relationship. And in that, I realized I couldn't escape God. I thought I wasn't enough, that I had managed to fall out of grace with him, but he found me again. He was with me the whole time in my darkest place while I was sinning against him. Psalm 139, 7-12 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. In bringing my darkness all the way out, unashamedly, I had brought it to him. And bringing it out allowed God to get the truth to a place where I could hear it. And he turned it to light. God is not ashamed of your darkness. He anticipated it. Let it out. And this is where non-depressed people come in, watching all of this occur. If you want to help, it's the simple answer. may not be the one you wanted, but there it is. Be there for them when they believe they're going to be completely alone. Show them the love of God the way he showed his love to me. And there's three tips that I have to do that. First is to just listen. In Job chapter 2, Job has just suffered more than most people on the planet, and his friends are beside him, silent for seven days and seven nights, not a single word. It's the first and only thing they get right in that entire book. <laughs> for the most part, a depressed person doesn't want solutions. They can't use any of the ones that you can give them. 
but just being heard can do wonders for depression, especially if it's hard to reason it off as coerced. Secondly, speak truth. Do not make any promises you can't deliver, and don't say anything you can't prove. You know what you can prove? You love them, and they're awesome people. Say that to them. Thirdly, and most importantly, be consistent. And this one, you are more than likely to fail at. And I'm not saying you have to be there 24-7 in a cycle of codependency, but knowing that you will be there for them and that you want to be there for them every time is like a fire that burns away all the doubts. Be a constant in their lives, something that they can rest upon. Even if it doesn't feel like it, it does help. Our God is a God that sees your worth. If you're a seeker or a non-Christian here today wanting to learn about the church's view on depression, I have no other hope for you. Isaiah 49, 15-16 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. And that, I think, beautifully sums up the entire Christian faith. Though the world may fall away, God never will. Here we share that truth. Everything you'll be given out there is based on self-deception and self-gratification. It's all lies. Jesus is the one who fills you, who gives life and is the only reason I am still alive here today. He gives me hope that I can expect from him, and you can expect it too. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for all the people here that are suffering from this darkness inside of them, that have nothing but a void at the center of their being that constantly needs to be filled. They have this anger and this anxiety that just has no outlet, and so it just eats them up, dissolves away all of their emotions. I want you to speak to them. I want you to give them life. I want them to understand that there is hope in you, even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when it feels like you have failed them, you never have. You are a constant in their lives and you will show them that they have good things to offer. I just want them to understand that they are loved, maybe not immediately by the people around them, but they are loved. And I want them to just understand that there is hope for them, a hope that they can place in the center of themselves, that can flow out of them. And I pray this in your powerful, respected loved name of Jesus. Amen.